21CL Radio. Welcome back to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Today, we welcome back Louise Favaro. And I'm going to talk with her about a recent blog post she wrote called Reversing and Preventing a Culture of Silence Among Girls. It's a powerful and shocking story, actually, and I encourage you to read it. Check it out at 21c-learning.com slash blog. For now, though, enjoy the conversation. Louise Favreau, thanks so much for joining me yet again on the program. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. It is good to be back and good to be talking. I'm not so sure that I'm thrilled about what we're talking about, uh, though it is something we should talk about. And today we're talking about a really strong and interesting and well-written blog post that you put together. And it's titled Reversing and Preventing a Culture of Silence Among Girls. Now, in light of everything that's been happening in Hollywood and the U.S. politics, at least, uh, this certainly is an interesting time to have an article like this. But as you're going to tell us, this actually took place before uh, any of all this stuff that we see happening today. And can you tell us the story of why you wrote this article? What happened? Yeah, so this happened a little more than a year ago and started in September of 2016. Um, So it was just before the election even um, in the U.S. And uh, what happened was it's, you know, it's a one-to-one laptop school and a student, a 12-year-old girl had borrowed a laptop because she uh, left hers at home and handed it back in to the IT department with her Gmail open. And then, you know, that meant that the tech person could inadvertently see hundreds of messages and threads that were being sent among an entire middle school class that were really inappropriate. You know, there were uh, comments, song lyrics, rhymes, photos, videos, rants that, you know, sometimes describe sexual acts, jokingly encouraged suicide just a lot of comments that were sexist, racist, overtly sexual, homophobic, um, and even at times pornographic. And so just to give you an idea, one of the threads, the title was KYS, Kill Yourself, and there was a lot of back and forth about drinking bleach and that kind of thing. Um, and then another one that really jumped out was I Smell You. And, uh, you know, and these are things that kids are saying to the whole class or to individuals within the whole class so everyone can see, but to one boy from India, I smell so-and-so, he smells like curry, Mm -hmm. and to another girl who had this cyclical vomiting syndrome, you know, she smells like a mixture of lavender and vomit, and then it reached this real low when it said, uh, you know, to the girls or to a girl, I smell your pussy, it smells like tuna. And so we just looked at this volume of emails, and then we decided immediately to... um, to cut off their access to emails at that time. (laughs) We needed to investigate and we needed to stop the flow of those messages just to see what we were dealing with. Okay. So as a parent, of course, I I am horrified. And as a parent, if I was at the, a parent of that, one of the kids involved, I'd be even more horrified. And my first question might be to ask, okay, so this is just an unusual event that happened. It's not common and it just took place here. But my sense is from reading your article is that it is a fairly common practice that this thing is happening. And that's what happened in the early stages. We were wondering, is this just this class? And uh, we, um, what, what we noticed when we did the investigation was that um, most of the messages that were highly inappropriate were coming from the boys. Mm-hmm. And the girls say the occasional thing, but not much. And so we wondered, is this the boys in this particular class? But as we went deeper and deeper, we discovered a lot more things that were concerning. And it was far more widespread than we even thought. 
Um, and of course, now we know with all the Harvey Weinstein thing that this is, you know, quite pervasive just in general. The, the, in general, sexual harassment is so pervasive. And so um, what we did was we, we separated the boys and the girls and we asked the boys, you know, what, what is this? Like, what, what are you doing here? And they said, we're joking. Like, they thought it was funny. And this uh -huh. is the way we talk. And, you know, we're just being funny. And then when we asked the girls, their reaction was completely surprising because they were just quiet and ambivalent. And these are girls you know, in international school. These are girls who are normally, you know, quite with it. And, mm -hmm. and, and they would just say, oh, I don't know. I don't mind. I'm not bothered. You know, very ambivalent. Whereas the boys were dismissive. And so, um, yeah, we just thought that, that, that there's a real disconnect here. And we, and I ended up going back to the girls at one point later because I thought that, hang on now, this isn't, this isn't, this can't be right. You know, right, these girls right. can't just complacent and literally said, girls, when it got to the level of, I smell your pussy, it smells like tuna. Why didn't anyone come forward? And that just seemed like an easier question for them to answer because uh, what I found was that these girls were not even giving themselves permission to have thoughts and feelings and opinions about this very thing, mm -hmm. let alone giving themselves permission to express it and say, this is what's going on. And that's when they said, you know, we were told never to tattle. You know, that was drilled into our heads. Sure. And this has been going on for so long, I guess it's just normal. Like they would say, this is just normal. So and... Mm. Well, I was going to say, when we talk about sexual harassment, at least among adults, it, it's always framed as a power struggle and that the usually male has the power and then harasses the woman because she wants to get elevated to a different position or he, simply because he can. Is it the same dynamic here? Because if they're the same age and you'll say they're both seventh graders, do the boys using this as a thing of power or is it just entertainment to them? I think it was entertainment to them, but what had happened was over a long period of time, because mm -hmm. the girls were not finding their voice to say anything about it, they ended up having so much power. I mean, it got to the point, no, I mean, this had been going on now, what we realized, and it wasn't just in writing, they were making sexual comments, sexual gestures, saying things that the girls didn't even understand, mm -hmm. describing sexual acts. I mean, we ended up going one one class lower and asking those girls as well, and it all came out, you know, it's happening all day online and in person. And, and the girls weren't saying anything because it had become normalized. So when something becomes normalized and it's systemic and it's pervasive, there is a power dynamic because the girls who are, like I said, these girls are tough in their own right and they have no problem saying, you know, being vocal about other things. For some reason for this, they just didn't have a voice, weren't finding a voice and just weren't speaking up. So there was a power differential. And I don't think the boys intentionally were trying to do that, mm -hmm. but that's what happened. And so they gave boys, without realizing they were giving boys their power by just being silent and staying silent on it. So I don't know if you can answer this, but how did that happen? How did it become normalized? You know, when we were younger, you might have said stuff, but you didn't say things like this. And now we're seeing today, uh, I think what you're talking about here, I wouldn't be surprised to see it in other schools. Given that you know, the school you were at had a wide variety of kids from a wide variety of cultures, so it could be commonplace in other schools as well with similar dynamics. Why, why is it normalized today? What's different? And what do you think? Uh, maybe it's obvious. It's the technology. But what sort of things do you think cause it to be a normal part of conversation now? Yeah, it's the technology. It's the constant writing. It's easier to say things in writing mm -hmm. than it is to say anything face-to-face. -face. And, you know, when we were kids, you know, you said things to someone's face and you saw their hurt reaction. You didn't have anonymity. You didn't have that, 
you know, diffusion of, this is, there's also diffusion of responsibility because everyone is firing a comment off. These, these, are, these are hundreds of comments coming at a rapid speed. Okay. And so it's that diffusion of responsibility, we're all sort of doing it. You're not seeing reactions on children's faces when you say these things. You're just throwing things out there for a laugh. Um, you know, and, and they're being exposed to a lot. And of course, with pornography, that's changed everything as well because, and, and that school in particular, the school in particular has done a lot on effects or working on a lot of effects of pornography on the brain and on relationships because it seems like online porn is just short-circuiting male uh, sexuality in general um, to the point where women are so objectified Mm -hmm. and dehumanized that they can't even tell reality from fiction and don't even care if the person in front of them is real um, with what's going on with Harvey Weinstein. And so I think with the boys, this is funny to them because it's part of their life. They're exposed to so much. They're just firing this stuff off. And perhaps for girls, they've seen it and heard it so much that they're used to it too. It's way more than when we were young. I think the exposure is higher. So that goes back to the normalized discussion. Is, this, is there anything we can do about this or is this just going to be the new baseline, the new normal? And we see that in a lot of things that technology has influenced, such as just our attention spans are less, our stress levels are higher. They talk about suicide, rate, suicide rates being higher, which may be commingled with these sorts of things. Do you think there's something we can do? I know you have five ideas, and we'll, we'll go through them, but do you think they actually will work, or are we just hoping they will work? Oh, I think we're at a, an amazing time. First of all, just to back up, so this was a mm-hmm. few weeks before the Trump Access Hollywood tape came out where he, you know, he said, um, grab him by the pussy. Right. And then he profoundly he was profoundly dismissive and called it locker room talk. And yes, he did get elected, but that's still coming back to haunt him now. I mean, he you know, they're still bringing up that and playing it over and over. And they're still talking about his behavior with other women. Um, so right now we're at a great reckoning. Is this normal? Do we want this to be normal? And I think what's happening is there's this huge wave and moment where we're finding it's not acceptable. And. To back up, even the KYS and the, you know, the joking about suicide at mm-hmm. that point as a separate, you know, as a separate part of this, we had to say, this is not the school we are. We don't joke about mental illness. We don't joke about that. And we, you know, then created an entire thing where we say um, anyone who is discussing it, it will be handled because we don't we want to we want to be able to tell what's going on. Is this real or is this not? And if it's being fired out as nothing and treated as normal, we won't have a way of knowing. And so with all the sexual stuff, it's the same thing. If, if that had become normalized, well, it was time to create a new normal. And it uh-huh. didn't take much because th- that's the most amazing thing. And again, this is before all, all that's going on now, is that we found that when we brought the girls together and gave them an opportunity just to speak, you know, I call it a circle talk, but just an opportunity to find their voice. As soon as they did, mm-hmm. within week or two, we had girls coming in all over the place for every little thing. Because, you know, once you have the words to describe it, it's just easier to say, this doesn't feel right for these reasons. So we just gave power back to the group that needed the power. And so, yes, it is part of our culture now that these things are said, but you can also create a standard, which we did in the school. We're not having it. And the minute we did that, things started to change. And now what's going on is you're seeing this huge wave um, in Hollywood and in politics and Silicon Valley and everything that's coming out, um, they're also saying enough is enough. We're not having it. So that paralleled what we went through. So it is possible to change. But but schools need to take steps uh-huh. and parents take steps. 
I guess it's like racism is was acceptable, and then when it became when school started creating a culture of it not being acceptable, then this culture of the school itself would help to defeat it or bat it down. So yes, and even in that school, you'll recall in my previous articles, our uh-huh. previous sessions in podcasts, we had a lot of discussion around bullying, what is and what isn't, and then we created other words to describe things that you know. Kid, that kids were doing to each other, interpersonal dynamics. And once we gave the kids the language, then everything changed and kids were able to talk about it and deal with things in an open way. Make it open, you know, just have discussions and, and it will change. All right. So you, you suggested five ways to, to help. And I want to go through those just real quickly. You know, in the, if this had happened five, six, seven years ago, the answer would have been, oh, we'll just take the technology away. That doesn't ever seem to be an option anymore. No, 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 no. So it's not an option. No. And this is like, and we have to learn to deal with, you know, what we have, and this is what we have, and so we we can we can be better with the technology, right? Just set that new standard. Okay, let's let's go through them then. The first one you have is make a clear distinction between tattling and informing, and you talk about boundaries. That I thought was interesting. Talk a little bit about that. Well, again, I think that, and probably a lot of schools do this, they have, you know, they they remind children from a very young age not to tattle. And these girls clearly said it was drilled into their heads, but yet there seemed to be no explanation about something that makes you uncomfortable within the discussion of tattling. And so to them, everything was tattling. You don't say anything because it's just tattling. You don't get anyone in trouble. Um, And so if if everyone understands, you know, when someone crosses, what boundaries are when someone crosses a boundary, not only that you can come forward, but that you must, and it's not tattling, what is the difference? What are the distinctions? Then you're going to have kids being able to uh, come forward over things that, you know, they should be coming forward over. So what, what we want to do is create that permission slip for students to be able to come forward with something that's important to them. And you can make distinctions with tattling and informing. And that, that pretty much leads to what you suggested next, which is to encourage girls to question everything. Again, that can go yes. right back to the boundaries, right? Yep. And I think that, uh, I mean, I think we try to do that anyway in everything that we do. We try to question everything. But uh, I think girls in particular, um, it seems like they've been trained from early on just to be good girls and obedient and, and just sort of go along with things. And the, here's an example of these are strong girls, but they went along with the norm of accepting and tolerating unacceptable behavior. And so if you get them to question everything, and even now with what's going on with the Harvey Weinstein and all that's going on in politics, you could use those as case studies that are unfolding in real time to have real discussions and get them to challenge and question everything going on so that they're more likely to you know, not tolerate and come forward and speak up. And that's where we lead to providing opportunities for girls to find their voice. Do you mean that also socially within their own social dynamics as well, as well as externally to just the general population? Yeah, everything. I mean, uh, Gloria Steinem said that all revolution and social change comes out of talking circles and just giving (laughs) kids opportunities. She did. I mean, she talked about speaking bitterness circles, um, you know, that started the Chinese revolution and the civil rights movement. They were testifying in black churches in the South. And the women's movement come out of people sitting around the kitchen saying, this is what happened to me and discovering that it happened to others. And so it wasn't our individual fault. You know, it was political. And if we got together, we could change it. And so even with these discussions we had with the girls, giving them an opportunity just to vocalize and realize it's not just me, it bonds them together so they start to support each other. And then it gives them 
you know, exactly what they need, I think, to be able to not only find their voice, but then to start expressing, um, expressing what they need to say. So again, creating that, giving them the permission slip just to speak up. In a sense, is it them turning it and saying, not just this is unacceptable to me, but it's unacceptable to us and perhaps empowering them a little bit more to speak out? Yes. And that's what happened. I found that these girls were quite competitive with each other in general. I mean, you know, you've got girls in middle school tend to be, you know, there's a mean school behavior thing going on. And all of a sudden what we had were girls saying, girls who didn't even like each other, all saying the same thing, but in different ways. Um, You know, two girls who were seen as flirty with the boys were probably Mm. hated by the rest of the girls because, (laughs) you know, they're just in with the boys. And they actually said, we, we, it's like keeping your enemies closer. We do that so that they don't turn on us. And, and one by one, each, each student revealed, even the girl who said, oh, I'm not bothered. You know, she said, this grosses me out. I don't like this. And so once we put them together and gave them that voice, they found they had so much in common. And then now they're solidified and unified in, in helping each other because enough is enough. And again, that mirrors exactly what's going on now with the Me Too movement, where you've got women coming out who normally wouldn't, who'd stay quiet, but they're doing right. it because there's strength in numbers, they've had enough, and the power is in, you know, everyone saying, you know, again, this, this is too much, and we aren't going to take it anymore. So now they're protecting each other. Do you think women can be uniquely good at working together in that way as opposed to boys? Or are there too many internal dynamics that disrupt it? I think if you give them the opportunities to see what they have in common rather than, you know, what they don't like about each other, I think they can. I mean, and then my next point was this, you know, introduced the shine theory. Yeah, that, what that is that? Great- well, that was started by Ann Friedman about women supporting each other, but it was highlighted in the Obama administration. There weren't as many women. There were very... You know, there were fewer women in the room, in his office and discussions, and they, you know, they were getting drowned out by the men. And so what they decided was when one woman had an idea or spoke something, the other, so that didn't get, you know, dismissed, the other was going to repeat it and give that woman credit and say, Mm. as someone so just said, or I think that's a great idea. So they started vocally supporting each other. And, and we introduced the shine theory to the girls as well, or the concept of it, that you can lift each other up and start supporting each other so that you're not being drowned out by the dominant behavior at the moment, which was the boys. I mean, by default, the dominant behavior was this inappropriate stuff. Once the girls start supporting each other and, and you know, sort of making themselves more vocal within the, you know, the groups or whatever, then, you know, now we have new voices. So let's wrap it up a bit by the final thing is talking about their boys are involved here and, uh, you know, often maybe reading this or listening to this would be like, okay, we need to need to punish them to get them to stop it. Uh, but you actually say provide support to the boys and how would you do that? Well, it's interesting. We did a lot with our boys. Uh, you know, there wasn't enough time to write it in the article. You know, the article was a piece about the voice of the girls, but in the silence of the girls, but we did a lot with our boys because they mm-hmm. were struggling. Um, you know, we had sessions with them on humor uh, and inclusive humor, and we talked about consent, and we talked about standing up for others. And again, we were giving them permission as well. I, I'm pretty sure in, you know, the large group of boys, there were some boys that knew this wasn't right and just weren't speaking up. Um, the head of secondary was really interesting. He started talking, and again, this this was leading right into, this happened for a year, it was leading right into the grab him by the pussy and locker room yeah, talk yeah. just going on in the media. And he started talking about rape culture to the boys and to the class. I mean, to girls as well. 
and, uh, you know, talking about normalizing or trivializing sexual assault and abuse and all of that. And that got, you know, got some raised eyebrows, even among some of the teachers. But what he wanted to show them was, you know, that this is not on. And if you were to do this in the, in the greater scale, you know, somewhere else, you could really get in trouble. You could get fired for sexual harassment. And so just to show them that. And so there were, you know, some suspensions early on for some of the really, you know, inappropriate stuff that came through. But on the other hand, we spent a whole year working with the boys and working with their parents on, you know, helping them to sort of understand there are other ways and better ways to be better. Um, I think we just had to shine a light on the whole thing and get everyone to see, you know, that we have a standard, we're creating a new normal, we're not going to have this anymore. So there's a lot of talk even now going on, you know, are we too reliant on women speaking up when we also mm-hmm. need to change boys' behavior? You need sure. to do both. Sure, mm. absolutely. All right, well, Luis Favreau, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your views today. Thank you. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.